The First Anglo-Afghan War began three years earlier, in 1839, when Britain invaded Afghanistan. It was the height of Pax Britannica, or the era of British global power. In Central Asia, Britain and Russia competed for supremacy in a high-stakes contest known as the Great Game. London was gripped by paranoia that Afghanistan would fall into the Russian orbit, threatening India, and decided to preempt the danger by forcible regime change. British troops quickly captured Kabul, toppled Dost Mohammad Khan, the Afghan king, and installed the former ruler, Shah Shuja, in his place. The war was over, it seemed, and British officers took to hunting and playing cricket. The new arrivals imported the necessities of imperial rule, including a grand piano, ceremonial kilts, a parakeet, numerous maidservants, and a wine cellar carried by three hundred camels. For the British, Shah Shuja was a pliable fellow. For the Afghans, he was an illegitimate puppet. In 1840, an armed rebellion began in the Pashtun areas of Afghanistan and quickly swept toward Kabul. Mount Stuart Elphinstone, who served in the British East India Company, said it was a hopeless task to maintain Shuja in a poor, cold, strong, and remote country among a turbulent people like the Afghans. As the mission degenerated into a military fiasco, the only question was, how costly would the British loss be? Everything hinged on the exit strategy. You have brought an army into the country, said one Afghan chieftain. But how do you propose to take it out again? The British decided to retreat from Kabul to the closest garrison, Jalalabad, 90 miles away. And so, at first light on January 6, 1842, in the midst of the Afghan winter, 4,500 soldiers and over 10,000 camp followers set out for the mountain pass. Dreary indeed, recalled Lieutenant Vincent Eyre, was the scene over which, with drooping spirits and dismal forebodings, we had to bend our unwilling steps. The shambling mass waded through feet of snow with little food or shelter. The soldiers' mustaches and beards were coated in icicles. Their eyes were afflicted by snow blindness. Their frost-bitten feet looked like charred logs of wood. Some were captured or hacked to pieces by Afghan tribesmen. Many died of starvation or exposure. Others gibbered in madness or took their own lives. The snow was absolutely dyed with streaks and patches of blood for whole miles, wrote Iyer, and at every step we encountered the mangled bodies of British and Hindustani soldiers and helpless camp followers lying side by side, the red stream of life still trickling from many a gaping wound inflicted by the merciless Afghan knife. For the rest of his life, Captain Colin Mackenzie remembered the image of a naked Indian child sitting alone and abandoned on the snowplain. It was a beautiful little girl about two years old, just strong enough to sit upright with its little legs doubled under it, its great black eyes dilated to twice their usual size, fixed on the armed men, the passing cavalry and all the strange sights that met its gaze. Mackenzie wanted to save the child, but there were too many others alone on the path. He had no choice but to leave her there to die. The black column of soldiers and refugees thinned like a starving snake. By January 12, a rump force of barely 2,000 found their way blocked by swarming tribesmen. 
A few dozen broke through the enemy lines on horseback. All of them were cut down, except one. Chewing on licorice roots to stave off thirst, Bryden reached Jalalabad to tell the tale. Soldiers in the fort played bugles to guide any last stragglers to safety. The terrible wailing sound of those bugles...